This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There's a hidden world called Little China. What's going on here? Is this some kind of magic? The darkest magic. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! We'll make one move. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. We may be trapped. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Way to go, Jack. In John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? Rated PG-13. Coming soon to a theater near you. In a movie about the Teen Wolf the Teen Wolf TV show. Yeah. And they were calling it Teen Wolf the movie. And I'm like, so how the hell are we going to differentiate with the original Teen Wolf? It, it didn't, that, not... didn't that already come out? Did it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I saw an ad, but I don't I don't pay attention. It doesn't it count. Out. Doesn't count. No, it definitely that doesn't count. Is he even playing noise? Scott? I don't even know. I don't I know there's a character on it that styles for sure. Because well, I've seen that. Like, wait, in a is it? No, but it's not. Oh, that's oh. not based off the. What? Hold it's on. Like, I, it's like Riverdale, right? Like yeah. it's the MTV based. Wait, 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 wait. Really? There's yeah. a guy named Styles, but and then his the only oh, thing I thought is it was his like name the is Scott. He's not even like, Scott. He's not even Scott. What well, is he? Scott, but whatever the last name is different. Uh, Wolf. Okay. Scott Wolf. No, Scott Wolf. <laughs> that's a person. I forget Scott. Person. I forget yeah. Scott's name in the yeah. Scott Wolf as Scott in Teen Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. It. I, I like. I've never uh, seen it no because I just I can't deal with that, but. The idea is infuriating to me, so I can't. It, it is. It's like it's like what they did with Riverdale. Like, how do you take something so yeah. light like Archie and make it this yeah. dark, like fucked up thing? Yeah, this doesn't Everything need to be. Yeah, yeah. Teen Wolf what, is perfect. It's what, Gen, perfect. It's what Gen Xers want to do with their their grown up media. They want to you know, put a darker edge to everything. Let's get a little well, IP. Is there a Boof in there? <laughs> Does Boof just have a name? There's no Boof. Boof it. You got to Boof is it. Bullshit. Boof's not in it. I have not seen a single episode. I haven't no, seen it at I all. No I mean, I'm not gonna start but I now. looked it up to see, like, oh, is this like what's the overlap here? I think there's yeah, I think there's a guy named Styles. Really? Died. I just thought it was called Teen Wolf. I had no idea that yeah. there was any overlap. It's a goddamn travesty. My only yeah, connection fuck, to Teen Wolf, the, the show, is the guy who plays Teen Wolf uh was on Brothers and Sisters uh, when I was on it. And uh, oh. he played a Rachel Griffith's stepson. And there was one episode where they sent him up to his bedroom in the attic and never came back. It was never <laughs> mentioned again. <laughs> He's like, who's it? Richie Cunningham's brother? Just gone. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Wow. yeah. On and off to Teen Wolfie White. <laughs> oh, man.
Oh wow, that's funny. Yeah. That's how you write somebody off. Just yeah, send them. that's it. It's like up fla- in the attic. It's flowers in the attic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, we got a big one here today, guys. It's yeah, we got we got five whole pages of notes. We five get pages. Cracking. I got made it ten. I was really trying to. I was withholding. Yeah. I yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. I'm even getting this. This is, feels like getting called into like to the big game. Like, oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. I mean, I I have nothing here. I'm almost just like a fan. Like just like yeah, you know. We but. sent up the reconsider signal, and you answered the call. I yeah. mean, if I if they're like, oh, we're doing a Kurt Russell movie. Oh, it's a John Carpenter movie. I was like. I got to show up for that. Like, what am I going to say? <laughs> oh, no, I'm too good for that. No, I'm not good. At that. <laughs> no. Yeah, this is it. This is our these are our, these are our key key episodes here. This is the major leagues right here. This is the big time. And yeah, uh, and we've got an extra big episode of Reconsinimation. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s and 90s and We've got a huge episode today for multiple reasons. Three reasons. I'm going to start the first one. We've got a very special guest. Thrice reasons? Thrice the reasons. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to the show, Joe Seta. Great to have you. All right, Joe. Thanks for having me, guys. I am am beside myself excited uh, to be doing this one. Uh, This is, again, this is, this is like, this is my Pro Bowl right here. I'm a Pro Bowler today. I made it. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a fun one to, to be a part of. We're super stoked to have you yeah. here for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I am psyched. I'm this close to being a five-timer, guys. Like, this is my fourth you, full right episode. There. Yeah, you're I'm right on the doorstep. There. Get yeah. ready. Yeah. Just and I have right a around feeling, the corner. I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of you this year, too. But everyone will have to stay tuned for that. And it's been weeks since, since uh, you were last on with The Christmas Story. Yeah, not long. So uh, you know, no. I hope the I hope the crowd doesn't get sick, of old Joe. So <laughs> impossible. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <Right>. not yet. <laughs> well, we are uh, we are celebrating a, a couple of things. We uh, our annual look back at John Carpenter, a John Carpenter film. But we're also prepping for Mr. Kurt Russell's birthday. It's right mm-hmm. around the corner. So with that, we're going to take a, a deep dive into one of his, I, I think, all-time greatest films with Big Trouble in Little China. This is awesome. Hey, Classic. this is the one. Now, we've we've covered Kurt Russell many a time. We've covered John Carpenter many a time. But this is maybe the ultimate episode. So we, we've looked at their collaboration with uh, the... Uh, Escape from New York. We looked at The Thing. Mm-hmm. And now we're here uh, looking at Big Trouble. But we've also covered Kurt with used cars. We've covered Kurt Tango with and Cash. Tango and Cash. We mm-hmm. had his uh, our, our 100th episode, Spectacular, which Joe was also a big part of. Little cameo. Was, was, yeah, was also a celebration of uh, Kurt's 70th birthday. We've done almost every Carpenter film. Uh, I think we we kind of we're kind of leapfrogging over Starman temporarily, but uh, we had to just get it together for Big Trouble. There was there was no delaying any further. This was the one. This one. This is the one that grabs us and and takes us takes us through time to celebrate the the, man, the two men at their peak. Their peak, would you say? Yeah, I don't. Or maybe the beginning of Kurt's peak. I I don't know. It's hard to say. It's because he's had such a long career with really great movies kind of peppered throughout. Yeah. 
Carpenter were sort of yeah, like it's, at it's, the peak it, and towards the end of it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's definitely like it feels like really starting the peak of Kurt Russell, but it's almost the beginning of the end for for John Carpenter based off this movie, right? Like, I mean, he struggled uh, pretty pretty severely afterwards, you know, to have success, which is crazy to think about because this movie is amazing. It's like on my Mount Rushmore. I don't understand. Uh Yeah. Looking at it today. And again, like part of what we look at as a perspective from today and and looking back at some of these movies that we either loved then or didn't love and how do we feel about it now? um, This movie does have a little bit of, it has in a sense it's aged. There is a little bit of controversy to it, Ah, but for those of us, (laughs) hogwash, Oh boy. <laughs> I think in this room, there's a hell of a lot of love for it. And uh, we'll address that stuff as we get into it. But um, David, tell us, tell everybody listening, if they haven't seen Big Trouble in a little while, what's the plot? What, what's happening in this movie? Um, a, Is it a, possible to even explain it? It's, it's, it's a kind one. of, it's a tough one. The, a, a, a trucker from San Francisco finds himself thrown deep into uh ancient chinese magic and sorcery and tradition uh and with his with with his best bud uh, as they go to rescue uh some women who might be sacrificed to uh to stop the ascent of the next ruler of the universe <laughs> oh my god the universe what happened to this movie <laughs> It's an admirable job. What is even what that doesn't make any kind of sense. (laughs) That's a sequence of events. (laughs) This movie has literally a little bit of everything. That's a fact. It really uh, does. It's yeah, it's got it's a funny movie, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) This is funny. This is a good time. It's it is. It's very interesting that this movie can be as kind of fantastical as it is and yet still for me so endearing like it just i don't know it's yeah it totally stands uh, for i don't know i've seen it up uh, probably a hundred times and it's oh, never wow. got it's never gotten old like i just me every too. time i watch it i find it more and more entertaining it's got i mean it's it's an action movie. It's got comedy. It's got heart. It's got, it's a Western. It's, uh, it's got, you know, ancient mysticism. It's a fantasy film. It's got sci-fi. I mean, it's got horror elements. It's, it's literally everything. And it's funny. Cause this is the kind of movie that like, as a kid, I liked it but for different reasons than I like it now. Like, to, sure. to, so it's even to say, like, has it held up? It's completely different for me now. Yeah. Because you just, as a kid, you take all different stuff from it, right? Yeah. And, like, we're, like, let's say, again, Teen Wolf is basically the same movie when I was a kid and it is now. And I just appreciate it for the nostalgia of it. But Big Trouble Little China is completely different of an experience once you start to understand what's going on in that movie, like, what they're trying to do. When I was a kid, I'm just like, this is fun. And, yeah. You know, yeah. When, when I first saw it, and we're going to kind of get into how each of us first kind of came across this movie. But when I first saw it, I definitely thought Jack Burton was the action star. Yeah. Like yeah. it didn't really, you know, I was six or something when I saw it. But, you know, then quickly on 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 a rewatch and seeing it a little bit older, it's like, oh, no, he's he's the bumbling buffoon. And it's yeah. Wang Chi's movie. But <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Um, but Joe, how about you? Let's start with you. When when did you first see it? Did you catch it in the theater or was it home video? No, I mean, I was a little, again, I this came out, what, 86, right? Yep, summer of 86. So I was a little, I was a little young for this. Uh, I, I, you know, I saw it as a kid and I can't even, dis- so d- just to explain real quick, I, I've had a problem where you have a movie and a sequel and when I was a kid, I watched them a lot together. So elements of them would be hard to distinguish, right? I always think of Jaws 1 and Jaws 2 as almost just one movie because so much stuff happens separately. The first four Police Academy movies are one movie for me, right? My problem with one Big Trouble in China. movie, right? Oh, a fantastic movie. <laughs> one long, great movie. <laughs> one wonderful uh, watch. <laughs> but Big Trouble in Little China, and and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but I have problem, I've had problems distinguishing what happens in this as opposed to what happens in The Golden Child. Because I watched mm. them both so much as a kid, mm-hmm. and tonally they're very similar, not just the Eastern mysticism parts of it. So I probably didn't see this movie for 20 years after I was a kid, because I always thought of it as kind of like, you know, you, you kind of look back in the golden shot and you're kind of like, eh, it's all right. But, you know, when you really hold them up and you're like, what's actually going on there? Uh, you know, it's, it's well, you get this whole different kind of experience. But uh, I, I was going to say that this is the first episode I'm doing of this show where I don't own a T-shirt based on the movie. So <laughs> oh I, I would say that's where I am. This is this is newish territory for me. But. And this is the for only one I think that I do have a T-shirt. Oh, <laughs> well, we got to get you some Teen Wolf T-shirts. <laughs> so. Teen Wolf 2. Make it make it Teen Wolf Oh, two. absolutely. It's got to be T-shirts for that. <laughs> so, all right. So, yeah. So you caught it decades later and yeah i saw it as a kid but like i don't think a lot of it really stuck because of the golden child like somehow they were just overlapping in my mind so that huh. like if people ask me about parts of the plot i don't think that i could have distinct like distinctly told you what was what even though the golden child's not as fantastic mm-hmm. until you get to that crazy thing at the sure. end but i think i always thought of the ending as being part of big trouble in little china because there's that weird flying monster all yeah, of a sudden right you know that's interesting yeah i these are I, I agree with you as far as them being kind of interconnected because they did come out like relatively close to each other but... well and they they had a big golden child had a big impact on on this movie which we'll get into in a little bit but yeah go ahead, Brent. Uh, but the the tones are like very different in my like i have not seen golden child nearly as much as i've seen this movie but i remember it being a lot darker and it's been a while since i've seen it i remember it fondly from being a kid but it's yeah. like there's kidnapping and like weird like dragon blood or whatever and oatmeal yeah. that's oh, just like I'll it's never all forget that oh, it is yeah, like yeah. super dark and like yeah this one this one has like for me very graphic kind of imagery but seems very whimsical in in a lot of ways you know and and like i and the sheer goofiness of Kurt Russell in this, even though I agree with you, John, he definitely, I thought he was the action star. There's, there's still elements in there that like you can't get away from that are just like him being the bumbling idiot. Right. And it's like, it plays so well. I think that's what makes it partly so endearing is that, you know, he's just like kind of clumsily heroic. And so, you know, I mean, I think you, you you cheer for that and you root for that guy because you're like, Oh, you know, this guy has no right, like being successful, but he kind of just finds his way to, to do that. Whereas like golden child, it's like, okay, we've got Eddie Murphy who is at the time, like a hugely popular comedian. And I remember him being funny, but even going in, like, I, I remember all his like comedy was 
up to this point, like it was also very adult centric, you know, like mm-hmm. you're talking delirious and raw and oh yeah. Like, you know, yeah. if you had seen those before you saw golden child and went in, like that would even feed into kind of the, the kind of more adult themes of, of that movie compared to, to this one. But, yeah, well, it almost is like Eddie Murphy was jammed into an existing thing. It doesn't feel like an Eddie Murphy project. It's almost like right. he's in there being funny, and the rest of the movie was a fairly serious movie. Yeah. Where Big Trouble in Little China feels like, like it was intended to be a comedy almost all around, yeah. right? And yeah. then so that you can have goofy characters inside of that. It's almost like Eddie's riffing through Golden Child. Well, yeah, like, as, oh, go ahead, David. I was gonna say, isn't like Axel? Fo- isn't he kind of like Axel Foley light in Golden Child? Kinda. Like he's just kind of like a yeah. regular dude who gets yeah. caught and stuff matter. Kind of. I mean, that's, you know, it's like just coincidentally, I saw Golden Shot for the first time in a while within the last couple of weeks. And uh, I was surprised, like, it's it's that and it's like James Hong is in it and Victor Wong's in it. And like, it's the right at the same time. So they Mm. look basically the same. Mm. And I think all of that blended together for me for a long time. Brent, when was the first time you saw this? Did you see it in the theater? I did. Yeah, I saw it in the theater as a kid. I don't know. My brother... I am, I assume it was the whole family, you know, I mean, I was, I was eight at the time. So, you know, like, or eight eight or nine. So it, you know, it's, but I assume my brother was there. He would have been a little bit younger, but I'll have to figure that out. I'll ask him at some point, but yeah, it was, I definitely saw it in the theater. I remember going with at least my dad at the time. And uh, yeah, dude, I immediately Loved it. I thought, you know, I found it super entertaining. Didn't understand any of the more complex themes or anything about it. But I was, you know, in elementary school, like one of the first books I ever remember checking out and reading was a book called Five Chinese Brothers, which, you know, has some, there's some controversy around that, that book as well. But when I was growing up, it was in the library and it's about, you know, five Chinese brothers who have like each one has like a special gift. And I immediately like equated the three, you know, like like superhero character uh, Chinese characters in this to to them, and like I, I don't know, I just kind of connected, and I was like hooked, you know, and and everything about it from that point on, I just have really enjoyed it. it as as random as it gets at certain points, and you got weird monsters that come out of nowhere and it's just like it's got about all the beasts yeah it's got all this like just like random stuff like plugged into it but like for me as a kid it all worked seamlessly i was like oh that makes total sense let's let's keep going you know so i yeah i i and it's been one of my favorites since i was a kid uh david how about you um i remember it I, uh, being a rented movie, I think I, over my, I was over, there'd be a lot of times I'd be over my cousins for the weekend. Um, and, uh, there would be in my, and I had, you know, I had two cousins who were three and five years older and I had my, and my older brother. So it was like the group of boys. And so there'd be like movies just rent, you know, rented or on HBO or something. And this was definitely like, I think the first time I saw this, it was, like you know whenever it would be available six months later or whatever and uh because i can i i and i distinctly remember what's his name the um the the guy who who gets really big and explodes yeah. <laughs> like that's the first memory of this movie like that i can like recall yeah. uh which is just so bananas <laughs> every time i see that it's just hilarious to me 
now. Um, so yeah, I, I, so, and then it was always something on TV and I'd watch like little bits. I never would like watch the whole rest of the movie usually. Cause it kind of, I don't know, like it, it, I don't know if it had the fun pace that I would want. I mean, it was like, it's, it's, it was good and all that, but like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay attention to it a lot, but you know, I've seen it in, in full a number of times since. And, um, and it's like, and I haven't seen it enough that like, that it's at least every time I notice something different or just appreciate something thematically about it or, you know, things that can continue to come up um, that like, I just, it's just like, I like Jack Burton just is just more and more bumbling through it, but I appreciate Kurt's performance so much. Cause he's not like inspector Clouseau, like bumbling around and shit. Like he shit goes wrong. And, but he's such a, he's such a, like a confidence man. Like, through it all like yeah he'll like uh, you know he knows he fucks up or just or whatever but he just keeps going so his confidence sells it like he's the hero he thinks he's leading all these everyone through the tunnels and all that and it's shen and wang just kicking everyone's ass yeah doing all the work and it's just beautiful like he doesn't it's like he should almost be a big big dumb lug uh and he kind of is but you know, he has his moments like every sidekick was, but he is the sidekick of the movie. Like, yeah. The, the, of the story. The brilliance of it is that Jack Burton thinks he's John Wayne. He plays it like he's John Wayne. He thinks of himself as the big time hero, the Indiana Jones type guy. And he's not. He's the sidekick who the bumbling kind of buffoon. And and every time I watch it. I feel like I see a little bit more in Kurt Russell's performance. There's like, oh, there's another expression I didn't catch before. There's like something else he kind of messes up that's like either in the background or just like not as obvious as the last time I saw it. So it's just something that works, I think, so well. But, you know, for for me in this movie, but I think at the time, which we'll get into, was not what people were expecting. So but we'll get into that. I saw this, I, I did see this in the theaters and uh, I saw it with my grandma. It's part of the grandma collection. So uh, yeah, six years old, went to see it in the theater, loved it, loved every minute of it, like right from the opening music to all the way through the end. And uh, I thought I fell in love with Kurt Russell as a kid from this movie. I just thought he was the coolest. And this was like outside of Star Wars, you know, this was like the coolest movie for me. But uh, then it like seemed to have disappeared and I didn't see it again for, I think about 10 years. It was 96. That was the year I like really, really got into film where I just picked it up at like Costco or something in like, like $5, like that, that VHS. And, uh, and I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen this movie in forever. And I loved it. Um, so I fell in love with it again there. And then again, when it came out on DVD, it's just each time just absolutely absolutely love it it's just uh it um doesn't get old for me <laughs> but there's you know there is and we're just kind of talking about it right right at the at the front here before we get into kind of the the making of it and how it came to be and all of that there is part of it that that you know doesn't age as well and there's been criticism about its handling of the you know chinese culture and chinese community and how how do you guys feel about that? Do you feel like it um, its portrayal is? I mean, I'm not going to say 
racist now. I think that's too strong of a term, but how do you think that holds up that end of it? One of my notes literally is, is this movie too racist? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. I don't know. I think you got to take it in context, man. Like I feel like a lot of this movie is kind of a love letter to some of the older Kung Fu movies and things like that. I feel like, I mean, there's certainly things in there. I mean, like uh, James Wong's character looks a lot like, you know, Dr. Fu Manchu, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think now is very much a stereotype that is considered racist, but at the time in the eighties, you know, like it was also kind of a, in context, a, a bit of a, kind of a reference point for people who didn't know much about Chinese culture just in general, right? Like, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of information about culture like there is now and how certain things could be offensive. I think, you know, people, I don't think that this was in any way intended to be racist in any sort, but just trying to do the best they could with the information uh, that they that they had. It was interesting because I knew we were going to get into this conversation, but I actually watched like a YouTube video of uh, to, uh, like a Chinese couple that had never seen this movie, watch it, you know, and it's, re you know, it's from, from like a year or two ago, but you know, like just to see if they mention anything about it being racist or anything like that. And they don't like at all, like it doesn't even come across to them as racist in any way that they, that they relate in that, in that video. But it is interesting some of the stuff they do pick up on, like uh, as far as like the language, the Cantonese, like some of the stuff that that they're kind of saying and and some of the advertisements. They were really, really focused on like the product placement, which I mm. thought was kind of interesting. Like they were hyper aware of that. But, you know, like never once did they did they mention in their commentary that they that they felt it was racist, you know, and not to say that, like, yeah, in today's more informed culture like you can't see stereotypes in what's being done here but I, I would have a hard time saying that this was you know racist like i i think that it's just a product of its time and again like obviously i'm a huge fan of this so i want to defend it but you know i don't know like i i, I have not heard any cries of racism or anything like that surrounding this movie not like like raya the last dragon which is something more familiar like more recent right that that you know from disney and it's like you know that movie takes a whole bunch of different cultural things and like mushes them all together and gets a lot of them wrong and it's really just like tone deaf and doesn't deliver on what it's trying to deliver which is supposed to be a cultural film this is not trying to be a cultural film but it's just trying to reference things that the filmmakers found, you know, uh, important to their experience as they were getting ready to, to make the movie. So I don't know. That's. Yeah. If, I mean, if people are calling it racist. I would love to hear why exactly. Well, I mean, I think part of the perspective is that you have a, a bunch of white, white guys who wrote and are directing this movie, producing this movie that, maybe you see a lot of you know chinese uh you know chinese actors on camera but not behind the scenes and when you're so embroiled in chinese culture to not have anyone involved creatively is you know sort of working against it that being said 
I, I, th I do not think the intention was any kind of racism. I think, it, in fact, it's the opposite. I think it was Carpenter trying to, you know, acknowledge things and, and you know, pay homage to, yeah, you know, like you said, the Kung Fu films. And um, he actually took, toned down a lot of the racist stuff that was in the original script and got rid of most of it. And, you know, because he wanted to be respectful. So, and Dennis Dunn has said, you know, how happy they were at the time that this is a big studio movie filled with like 90% Chinese actors that they didn't have that opportunity very often. So yeah, this that's another thing that the couple that I was watching commented on quite a bit as well was just the cast. Like they're yeah. all even, I mean, even though they're younger and obviously a lot of these actors are, are quite a bit older now and from, from longer ago, they mentioned how they were all really, really like kind of popular, even, even like the secondary characters are like pretty popular, like Hong Kong actors. And, mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, that is, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think at the time the cast was very happy about this movie. There's only, f I think four white, you know, like white actors in it. The rest are all Chinese. So. See, I think, and see, I think this is why when I, even when I first start watching it and this occurs to me, I think it's that exact thing. It's that like, but who made this movie and like what, I mean, look at the time, but if you made this movie today, I think people would think it's kind of racist, but for the reasons you've explained, like about who made it and what, you know, this and that, like, I think, I mean, the eighties aren't exactly the seventies when it comes to like, we're just going to bring up stereotypes for jokes. Exactly. But there's still some of that. What this made me think of was kind of like, and this is not a great example, but the old Amos and Andy TV show, the Amos and Andy TV show has the first like black cast of a TV show. And that's a great thing. Like, you know, and, and it's a, it was a comedy and, it, you know, brought people together, but it is a pretty racist show. Like the characters are, you know, kind of racist. It's based on a radio show where all white people played these characters because it was on the radio, you know? Now, this isn't exactly that, but it is still the same idea. It's like, oh, well, at least there's representation and at least it, it you know, can bring in, you know, bring other cultures to society in a way. It's just that if you do that and it's still kind of based on a lot of like mysticism and this kind of, you know, celestial kind of racism that it just it's a little uncomfortable and that's why watching it i honestly wasn't really sure i was like is this really that racist but i just can't tell and i would then err on the side of saying you probably can't make this movie today with this group of people in this way and then that's like well then that's probably racist right well i think if you made it today there would be a cultural sensitivity supervisor that would be on it that makes sure that whatever yeah. was being done right didn't right and i wonder if it's just kind of connotation and memory and people just kind of being like well <laughs> you know not just because the movie wasn't a super big hit at the time but also just like yeah how is it exactly aging and how does it fit in today's kind of society for entertainment you know right yeah i mean it's 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 hard you know us being four white guys too it's also it's hard for us to so hard for us yeah. we aren't the crowd that should be talking about this <laughs> so but we're we're just we are calling it out and acknowledging that there is you know it is an area of concern about the movie and and understandable that there may be people who don't you know like like the film because of it so 
But to Brent's point, I've never heard anybody say they thought this movie was real racist. I, I haven't either. I, yeah. I know I just in, in kind of researching, I know there was some more so it seemed like when the movie came out, there was a reaction to it. Um, I, I don't think it's so much now, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, and I know part of our thing is that we like to look back at these movies and be like, and, and, you know, kind of analyze like, Hey, how does it hold up with kind of today's perspective on things? And, and, you know, I think that you can't, I, I don't think you can look at it through today's lens and not, have that be there but again like i don't think anything i don't think it's even when i watch it like you know again when i watch it it doesn't feel racist to me like i understand that it it it's probably insensitive in some certain ways but that's kind of why i went and like tried to search youtube to see if i could find opinions on it just mm -hmm. because like i wasn't sure you know because i mean there are certainly things that are you go back and you look at them and it's like, oh, goodness me, that's <laughs> horrific, yeah, you know? Right. But this this one, for whatever reason, just doesn't have that same kind of effect. Every movie uh, outside of the last five years is going to have some level of, you know, racism, sexism that just doesn't hold up as well today. It's just... just because they're all products of their times. Like, right. so you also have to think about the intention behind it at the time. And I think Carpenter's intention at the time was in the right place. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it, to me, sometimes it comes, I mean, it's always case sensitive, but sometimes it comes down to that. Like, what was the intention? But yes, 40 year, however many years later it is, maybe it doesn't hold up from that perspective, but either, all that being said, this movie still in general holds such a special place for me because story-wise, like this is just, it's so much fun. I mean, look at the Drew Struzan poster. And yeah. I always point that one out because I think it's the perfect movie poster as are many of Drew Struzan's posters. This one's hanging in my office, but it's... <laughs> It like gives you get like it gives you the exact tone of the movie that there's adventure, there's comedy, there's some scary stuff, there's fun. You've got like a lovable leading guy <laughs> that um, you can get behind, and uh, I don't know. It's just everything that I love about movies all, all is all kind of happening here in Big Trouble. I mean, I also think that you can make the case that a movie can be inadvertently offensive or insensitive and still be an entertaining movie. Like, I don't think that it just negates that. And I think that yeah. kind of the way modern society starts to get on to things like that and, mm -hmm. and chase it a little bit almost feels attention grabbing more so than trying to be helpful or useful. But, you know, I think that can exist at the same time. Like, I don't think it has to be a binary thing, you yeah. know, like Blazing Saddles is a funny movie. Blazing Saddles is a really rough watch, though. You know, like, yeah. it's just, yeah. it just is like, that's yep. just yep. what it is. So yeah. some things are just that way, whatever the intention was, it can still be uncomfortable, even if it doesn't make the targets uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Richard Pryor wrote Blazing Saddles, you know, so it, it shouldn't necessarily be, you know, you, you can make that case, but it can still be an uncomfortable watch for anybody. You know, it's, it, it's just yeah. how it is. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about the the story of Big Trouble in Little China, and and that begins in 1982 when the script is originally written by Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Now, Gary Goldman would go on to uh, greater success with Total Recall and Minority Report. So, nice. uh, yeah, he had some some big movies coming up uh, down the road for him. But but the original, you guys know much about the original version? I don't. Not, not really. So, really. So, so it was originally set in 18, the 1880s uh, San Francisco and was, was really a Western. It was Jack Burton was basically the Clint Eastwood cowboy who like rides into town and kind of similarly, you know, gets involved with the, into the, the Chinese fantasy of it all. And, but, but it's, it, it's kind of plays out very differently. Uh, the David Lopan storyline is really the only thing that survived from that mm -hmm. original draft. So, um, but yeah, very different tone, very like really heavy on the mysticism and the fantasy side that gets very technical, kind of, kind of like Dan Aykroyd's original Ghostbusters script that was like, took place on like a different planet and was about all, all these like really technical things that, would require way too much explaining for a, a viewer, <laughs> but um, but they pitched the uh, this the script to uh, Paul Monash and Keith Barish, and Paul Monash was one of the big producers of the 1970s, uh, who ended up selling the project to uh, 20th Century, well, what was known as 20th Century Fox at the time. Uh, 20th kind of insists on modernizing the story and changing it and, and getting it out of really the version that it was in. Uh, so they hired W.D. Richter, who had just come off of uh, Buckaroo Banzai. Who's a Buckaroo Banzai fan? Oh, I love Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was going to be. Love that movie. <laughs> so W.D. Richter, I think, wrote and directed that film, and he's just coming off this. And so they hire him to do a complete overhaul of the script. And... Um, Coincidentally, he was a college uh, schoolmate of, of John Carpenter at USC. So, you know, starting things starting to come together there. And by now, this is probably late 84, early 1985 when this rewrite's going on. And he really turns it into story-wise pretty much what we see uh, on, on screen. Uh, it's not until Carpenter comes in and he, he starts carpenterizing it and putting his little finishing touches and revisions on everything. And Carpenter adds, uh, adds Gracie law into the mix. And he really cut down, he and Richter cut down a lot of the racist stuff that was in the original draft. And again, probably not intending to have been that racist, but that's what, that's the way it came out. So, um, and then Carpenter is also, you know, once he comes on board, starts cutting down the action to make it more doable for the, the budget target that they had. So, um, so Carpenter is, where's young Carpenter in 1986? He's coming off of Christine, which we covered, and you can hear that in the archives at reconcinimation.com, uh, but also <laughs> Starman, which again, we, we leapfrogged over, but, um, you know, Carpenter's career to this point was a little bit rocky. I mean, we, we, we actually have covered the majority of his films. 
started out hot and and really with a, on a high note with Halloween and and uh, success with Escape from New York and the Fog, and then comes the Thing, which was a brilliant brilliant film, but huge failure at the box office. So that really started a rocky relationship with the studios that you know this movie that he put so much into was really a big time failure uh and then you know he really was trying to recover from that he was really uh kind of shattered after that and and christine kind of made up for it starman was another you know step in the right direction and finally coming around to big trouble that okay now we're going to go for another bigger budget studio movie Here's our next attempt at it, and we'll see how it works out. But <laughs> what was the reception of Starman? I mean, I remember seeing that one in the theater too and liking it. But I good. I mean, I have like Starman, you know, made money, I, and it wasn't a huge hit, but it it was a success, and I think a critical success. More importantly, that you know he got a, like Jeff Bridges gets a lot of praise for it, and it, yeah. it's probably I think it's kind of known as one of the acting in Starman is some of the better acting performances in all of Carpenter's films. I want to say Jeff Bridges might've gotten nominated for an Oscar for that. I think, he, he? I think he did. Yeah. Huh. For like a, a pretty genre movie. And around that yeah. time, those aren't the kind of movies getting nominated yeah. for anything. So yeah. 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 So Carpenter is really like, this is an important moment that if this is a hit, he's kind of back and he's back on good, you know, like he'll have a couple of, solid hits under his belt and he's in good standing again but really important for him so you know and carpenter saw this movie as really a comedy or an action comedy and not you know i think this is where right off the bat carpenter and the studio are not on the same page with the kind of movie that they're making right well, and that's what, it, and then it gets very confusing down the line, you know, when it comes to, you know, marketing the movie and, and everything like that, you know, because, because they see, they see it differently. Right. And so I think that's what, I mean, I guess we're going to get there, but that's kind of what led to, to some of the issues down the line. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This actually, this has to be part of the construction of the movie too, right? Because like what I didn't remember until I watched it again, and I don't know how I've just forgot this, is that weird first scene with Jerry Harden. Like what exactly, why is that there? And it doesn't, they never, they don't come back to it. Right. You know, it almost feels like it should be a framing device that they just ignore after that. So, so that, that was, that was a studio decision that uh. they, they, kind of demanded Carpenter come back and add that scene. So that's, so that was done way after the movie um, as a way to kind of establish some mysticism about Jack Burton mm. and sort of set up his character that he's this mysterious hero, which very quickly we see he is not. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it is strange that they didn't bookend the movie that right. they started, but they don't come back to that. Yeah. 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 It's like like the man who would be king or something where there's just like this weird crammed in like we're going to start to explain this. It happens after the fact. Yeah. Except in the end, you would you expect them. And then it's just like, eh, maybe that was maybe the audience <laughs> forgot that that was a thing. And I have That's forgotten apparently this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, coming back to the golden child and where it really relates is that so Paramount and 20th were sort of competing for the same kind of movie. Right. And they know 
that golden child i think is is due to come out in like november of 86 or somewhere in the fall <clears throat> so they rush this into production carpenter only had 10 weeks of prep for for this movie which is wow i mean that's usually it's a bare minimum of, of 12 but you know much as it could be 16 17 weeks so he had almost half the time to prep the movie which would include any rewrites and getting the story and casting and every getting everything and the sets built and um <clears throat> but yeah they really are and the funny part is is that john carpenter was offered the golden child so <laughs> wow. you know he had said something like in the whole history of hollywood why are there two movies being made at the same time about the same thing? And I'm offered both of them. <laughs> <laughs> the universe saying you should do one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think he chose the right one, all things uh, considered, but yeah. So, so this is really rushed and, and that's never really a good way to start a project like this or a project at all that, you know, when you we start on the fast track, that's, not always good. So um, <clears throat> now the casting of Kurt Russell. So they know Eddie Murphy is going to be in Golden Child and Carpenter, you know, all constantly uses Kurt. He's used Kurt three times to this point. I think this is their fourth collaboration. Yeah. After Elvis and. Oh, yeah. If you count Eric. Elvis, yeah. yeah. Oh, you got to uh, count Elvis. Thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Elvis escaped the thing and now uh, big trouble, but yeah. um, you know, he's considered his main leading man, but Kurt isn't really established as a a list star. I mean, he's led movies, but he's also, if you look at his track record, he's shared, you know, he's shared a lot of screen time with some big name people too, from mm -hmm. swing, you know, he's coming off of uh swing shift with gold, with Goldie Hawn where they met and, uh, that was at the best of times with uh, with Robin Williams. And um, we talked about uh, Silkwood with with Meryl Streep. So he's sharing the screen quite a bit. Uh, but the studio there, they really are pushing hard for Jack Nicholson to play Jack Burton or Clint Eastwood to play Jack Burton. Can you guys see either of them as that character? I don't think they the studio really understood the movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. that, that might right. not have worked. I don't think I don't think they can play the goofy side no, of of that character. Not at all. I I mean yeah. I couldn't. The version of the movie that those guys would be in would be the the dead serious, more action thriller. Right, and they'd be the hero. Like that would be a different movie. Absolutely. Like, yeah. 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 No one's upstaging Clint Eastwood, especially in 1986. Right. Yeah. I was kind of thinking this watching it was like, I can't imagine, like a lot of Kurt Russell's movies before this, like even Escape from New York, as great as, as, as Snake is, I can kind of see other people playing that. I can't really imagine anybody else playing Jack Burton, like how that would work, like, or who you would get, who was like, could be funny, but he's still kind of an action-y guy, you know, in, at this point, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who you would really, who you else I, um, would cast there. At this time? No, I mean, and Kurt, I guess he had, you know, in, in used cars and best of time. Like he, he did display some comedic. Yeah. And he did all those Disney comedies when he was a kid. Like exactly. He, he, had, like, he had done stuff. Yeah. He had really like, 
he was still in a period of growth as an actor, you know, going yeah. from the, the child movies to going like completely serious with this, with, with Elvis and escape from New York and the thing, especially, and then kind of, you know, throwing a couple lighthearted ones in there as well, that coming back around and then all that kind of mixing together to me, like this is the movie where he proves himself as a leading man that it starts yeah, right. here. He's able to balance it all. Yeah. Right. Right. Because after this, you've got Overboard, Tequila Sunrise, and then he's co-starring with Stallone. I mean, right. that's as big as you could get by the late 80s. So, yeah. um, so even though the movie isn't viewed as a success, I think for, you know, we'll come back to it, but this is a disaster in the making for Carpenter, but it's also a big positive step for Kurt Russell. So it's, it's a weird mix between the two of them. Um, yeah, I just think his, you know, we talked about it, but his mix of just the, his approach. And I think it took him a little bit to understand Jack Burton and come around to that. Jack is not the star that Jack is. I mean, he is kind of the star, but like, he's not the hero. Right. He, there, he's got such a charm to him, but it's like there's he says a bunch of stuff that is just complete nonsense. Like him telling those stories on the radio. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. As though as though he's like, you know, he's not hitting the button at the end of that story, like that it's like really clever or anything. And it's just like yeah. you know, it's just like I I always say, uh, you know, I'm what was it like? I <laughs> Jack always says, what the hell? That's what I, I always say, what the hell? Like, it's yeah, just, what the hell? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. that big, like, as though he was, he was teeing up like a big, like, one liner. Yeah. And it's yeah. just awful. Yeah. It's so, a great, he, go ahead, David. He's just so confident and, like, like, he's speaking, like, you know, he's just got, he's got wisdom, you know? Yeah. He's just a goofball. It's such a, it's such a great transition from that. Like we were talking about the opening scene where they're building up like, Ooh, like I'm intrigued. Who is Jack Burton? Like yeah. what's going on with him? And then we cut to him like chowing down on this huge sandwich, <laughs> yeah. like babbling into the radio that I'm sure people are annoyed. <laughs> like just listening to this guy, just talk. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and then we, uh, and then we kind of settle in with like the, the great Pork Chop Express uh, theme song playing over the opening credits, and and uh, and we settle in where he meets uh, his friend Wang Chi, and and I really like they don't really get into their backstory, but I like that you can feel the history between the two characters right away. Yeah. Yeah, that they've been friends. through some stuff and they go way back and there's respect. Maybe this isn't their first adventure. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's time for prequel. All the sequel talk. Let's let's, let's take go. it back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it would just be them like, you know, like he helped them move a, re a refrigerator out of it. Like, <laughs> it could, you know, could be. Could like be. that's their previous adventure. It, wasn't it could be just anything. be a sitcom with the two of them. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> What if it's like Evil Dead, where they just redo the the first movie again, but try and sell it as a sequel? Be <laughs> wait, right. it's one of those remake sequels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's really a great way to start the movie and set the tone for for the kind of movie that we're we're getting in for. And by the way, Kurt Russell's hair 
It's, it's on, on point. Oh, oh my God. It's not, you know, years ago, I used to think that this was the height, literally the height of his hair was, was at its peak here. Mm-hmm. It's really not. I mean, I I think overboard probably... and Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Just worry. That hair is really out there in Tango and Cash. But it's pretty, it's pretty, it's prime. It's yeah. prime right yeah. for sure. It's a little yeah. more, the sides are a little more slicked down, you know, in this one. It's a little more mullety in a way, yeah. but yeah, um, the top isn't quite as high. It's like between this and Overboard, like he didn't, he let the hair grow for Overboard. So Oh yeah, it's more prime than it is, you know, I mean, like there's, there's God awful choices like Stargate where he's got this military buzz cut thing. Like that's just, yeah. what are you doing? Who, did, well, who made that decision? I'll <laughs> say whatever haircut Kurt chooses is the right one <laughs> at the time. Uh, exactly. I don't the, know. When I was in when I was in college, I dabbled in some theater with some folks and uh, with my colleagues and peers in, in at the college. And there's this one dude, Kevin. We were we were doing uh, his name is Kevin. <laughs> we we did uh, we were doing how to succeed in business without really trying and. Uh, he had a bit part. He was just sort of this chorus guy. and But then he'd get lines. And then he would always deliver the lines in a very distinct way. That isn't the way he talked. But it was a little more New York or, or something like that. A little more blue collar. And the way he would do it, I'm like, what is... Like, there was something about it that it just kept pinging in my ear. And it wasn't until, like, a few years later when I watched Big Trouble in Little China, I was like, he's doing Jack Burton. Like, he's, <laughs> he's talking like Jack Burton with all his lines. Like, just, just, just like kind of exasperated and confident all the time all at the same time and so, I, I was like he's doing jack burton that's amazing i was like that's such a great choice like to just talk about like you know there's there's no coffee in the break room or whatever yeah. way to go kevin guy sounds okay. like a hero shout out to kevin, kevin. yeah funny guy that was really yeah. great so this is jack burton and the pork chop express and i'm talking to whoever's listening out there like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. Um, let's talk about the rest of the cast, though. It's not a hu- huge cast in this movie, but um, Kim Cattrall at this time. Talk about Police Academy. Bringing it back to Police Academy. Everything yep. goes it back. It always does. It's the center <laughs> of the film universe. <laughs> all eight of them. That's um, it. Well, at least seven of them. Anyway. Yeah, we welcome yeah. Kim Cattrall back to the podcast, right? We had her. Yeah, yeah. From Mannequin. Yeah, Mannequin. Oh. Mannequin. Yes. Which uh, this is the film that she did, I think, just prior to Mannequin. So, right. Uh, but she's, you know, at the time, Kim Cattrall is kind of, I, I don't know how to categorize her exactly, but she's coming off of really being in some sexual related movies like the first police academy and porkies and um so i think she's trying to get her you know acting career really off the ground i mean police academy was a big movie but i thought for a second that's where we were where you were headed like well she's back to the podcast like did you guys do porkies (laughs) what did you say (laughs) oh no it's not holding up at all (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about how we've talked about talk about porkies yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, Don't it's like that. Porky. That and Revenge of the Nerds are never to be talked about. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, in, that's in depth fair. on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's the right choice, I think. Maybe yeah. we'll have an episode where we talk about movies we can't talk about. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Eighties teen sex comedies, I think, oh, are man. are the way to go. Yeah, yeah. 
There's, like, there's a lot of so them. many panty raids back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. that's all those like... films were built on. Yep. I saw so, I saw a little movie called Joysticks the other day. Oh my god, it is just nonsense. No, no, it's like a a, a video arcade sex comedy from like '83, maybe. And oof. Oh boy, Here, here's they were just cranking one. those movies out. It's gonna be our fall theme. '86 '86 September. September. Check out a movie called Blame It on Rio. Ooh. Was that like Michael Caine is in mm-hmm. that? Michael yeah. Caine, Demi Moore. I don't uh, think I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's Uh-oh. it's um. What goes on in this one? Older <laughs> men and much younger women and their relationship. Yeah, it's that uh, can't be holding up. No. Oh, no. look at that poster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot happening in that movie. Anyway, but uh, Kim Cattrall um, as Gracie Law. How do we feel about Kim in this movie? What a delight! Perfectly fine. Great. Yeah. Yeah, she's and she's a walking exposition. She's <laughs> yeah. walking exposition. Well, that's what I liked about it. She's just like she's this just animated character that's just giving the right information and yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, I right. don't know. She's just kind of she's, this non-character. But she's super important story-wise because like you said, she she's explaining everything to the audience and giving us like what's going on with this gang and who are who you know this character that she's picking up from the airport yeah. and all the questions you have as you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. She's because great. she's the expert. So, yeah. Um, but performance-wise, I think maybe a little bit over the top in some scenes, but good chemistry with Kurt, as I think everyone has good chemistry with Kurt. Now, is there not? and is there a character in here that's not a little over the top though? I mean, like it's kind True. of the, yeah the whole yeah. deal. Yeah, it's, all... it's it's the tone of the movie. So yeah. Um, so it's so it fits it fits well yeah but i i like that their relationship um isn't the stereo there's not the stereotypical love story you know like they don't end up together at the end with the happy ending yeah but they could have they could have but they like, don't but it's a wonderful can't. moment that last that last stretch there you gonna yeah. kiss her goodbye nope nope yeah. <laughs> just, just <laughs> away <laughs> Kind of like heartbreak because she he he is sort of you know pursuing her a little bit you know, like like he wouldn't admit it but he is that he has feeling you know seem like he has feelings for her throughout the movie but um, and she's the one sort of being standoffish and there at the end it comes all the way around that at the at at the end of the day okay she's ready and he's just gonna walk away so yeah he's got to get back on the road he's a truck yeah. driver yeah. I mean, what do you- yeah, I mean, what's, by the way, what's he? I wonder what's his cargo? What's he delivering? I mean, he's way just off monster. track. Just way troll monsters. Just monsters. <laughs> troll right. monsters. Whatever. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I think the West Coast turnaround is not going to pay off for him because I mean, <laughs> he's not hauling anything. He's just he's, he's, he's empty. Yeah, so exactly. He's deadheading it. So <laughs> he just drives around so he can like chatter on his CB. He's just, <laughs> It's, he does his nineteen eighty six podcast where he's yeah, just exactly. talking. <laughs> like, he's just talking. Yeah. To anybody who'll listen. Yeah. My grandfather used to have a CB in his car, which was hilarious. <laughs> and we would listen and talk, and it was like, why do you have this? Like, what is <laughs> what are you doing? He wasn't a truck driver or anything. He just was like had it's a just CB. to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. Sometimes you just gotta talk to somebody. Big hey. ass tall antenna on top of the car. I'm like, what are you doing, Gramps? <laughs> Um, Dennis Dunn is cast in the movie as Wang Chi. Uh, actually, 
Carpenter was was pursuing Jackie Chan at the time. Uh, but Jackie Chan, this was his first attempt to get into American film. And he uh, he had the big brawl and the protector, which were both kind of failures at the box office. So Jackie pulls out and wants to go back to the Hong Kong film industry. And I think that's when he gets into the police story films. So he pulls out of the movie and Dennis Dunn is coming off of the year of the dragon. And Dennis Dunn is great in this. Like Wang Chi is a great character, the true hero of the movie that doesn't seem like it at all at first. When they, when they are, you know, meeting up in the beginning of the movie, it seems like, I don't know. It seems like, he's hiding something like he's got, I don't know, like, like there's more going on with him and there is, but mm -hmm. pretty quickly he becomes like that, the real action star. Yeah. He's great. I'm glad. I mean, what else has he done? I don't really recognize him from my, I've not really seen anything else. Dennis Dunn has been in. I mean, I know he has been, I've heard his name, but I haven't actually seen any movies with him. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of anything. I think he's great for the character, man. I, I mean, I look, I like Jackie Chan a lot, but I've worked with Jackie and I think that, you know, like it would be difficult to have him in that, in that role, you know, like he's just, um, you know, like he, he has a hard time with the English language. So yeah. it's like, you know, like I think having someone in there in that role as important as it is, uh, you know, needs to be able to kind of communicate. So well, that, that character, Wang Chi has so much dialogue and is really, is also kind of like Gracie. He's also doing a lot of exposition as well and mm -hmm. telling of the backstory. I don't know if Jackie, I think ja it would have been a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like the action scenes, yeah, totally would have been, been amazing. Freaking but, great. Yeah. Yeah. But Dennis Dunn does great too. Yeah, he does. And he yeah. kind of looks like Jet Li. So He does, yeah. It works. It works for me. <laughs> Apparently, he, he was not martial arts trained. Like really, uh, he's like great. So it's all stunt work and you know whatever training he did. Like that's pretty cool. And see, that's what I was thinking watching it too. Is that it actually? I think it works better because he's not like Jackie Chan would have been like a real serious ass kicker, and that would have I think so unbalanced the relationship that it would almost have been like like the old Green Hornet TV show where mm -hmm. like Bruce Lee is such an ass kicker that then. Um, uh, Van Williams is just kind of like there and he's like so superfluous, you know? So I think it actually balances pretty well with him because like, even though he's the ass kicking character, he doesn't look real polished. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't look like he's, he's, you know, in the gym eight hours a day doing it. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and if I'm just thinking about that final action sequence with, if Jackie Chan had come in there, it would have been probably done differently. And he probably would have just been like wrecking everybody. Yeah. Not as, you know, I, the one-on-one -on -one battle that, that they have that, you know, Wang Chi has is like, is really well done, I think. So, yeah. Um, and then there's James Hong. Sarah, Mr. Burton, you are not brought upon this world to get it. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. Love me some James Hong. The best. Who has been in every movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and is now in 2023 in movies nominated for <laughs> this guy's been Oscars. alive this guy's been alive since forever yeah like uh he's been in everything i i was lucky enough to work with him once as well and we had him come in and do a reading once super nice guy he already looked 
150 and this was 20 years ago and it's yeah i mean not to be mean but this dude is like i'm telling you he's a vampire he's he's like hit you know there's there's a lot of people who hit a certain age you know sometimes very young they look like they look 40 when they're 20 and they look that way until they're like 70. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah He's, He's been playing an guys. old man for like 60 Forever. years. Well, and then they, you know, in Blade yeah. Runner 1982, he's yeah. playing like an old, yeah. old guy. That's hilarious that you bring that up. So when he did, when, when, when he did that reading for us, like he came in, you know, with his assistant who was helping him because he, he has a hard time seeing and he, he had this briefcase with him, you know, he's like got his important papers with him and he's, he's like going and he does this reading for us. And then as we're rapping, um, I walk him to the front of, of kind of the studio. And he's like, do you, do you want an autograph? And I'm like, well, fuck yeah. I want an autograph. Right. (laughs) So like he opens his briefcase, all that's in there is a bunch of his headshots with autographs. Get the hell (laughs) out of here. And he hands me one and it's from, it's from Blade Runner runner. And it's, it's him. And it says, All I do is eyes, James Hunt. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's a genius. I love that's this great. guy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, to think that wow. he was in Chinatown mm-hmm. and then he's, you know, this year is everything everywhere all at once, just yeah. still popping up in great movies. Yeah. He, and he's he, legitimately, what, 45 in Chinatown? <laughs> like he's, he's, probably, he's been around forever. Like, he's, he's, He's 97 to today. 90 no, 94 today. He's uh, 94. He, yeah, yeah, he'll be 94 yeah, after this episode airs he'll he'll have turned 94. Wow. I I think Y2K knocked a one off of there. I think he's pretty much 194. Yeah, 194. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, look, he's he's So that's that's incredible. why in 20 years ago he was 74. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. like Yeah. You know, that's not a you know, that's a that's an old age, you know, in terms of like getting around him. <laughs> like, so yeah, he's, he's still doing it. Yeah. And he's great. He's great in everything, everywhere. He's great. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, he had a lot of screen time for a 90 year old actor. Like, yeah, that was a lot oh, to yeah. do. And he was so good in it. Yeah. Big Everybody's fan of that movie. So good in that movie though. That movie is fantastic. Yeah. And he's still, he's just, he's still killing it in all his voice work that he does and just stays busy and, and just keeps working. Like, how fun is that? But I, I, to me, he's David Lopin. Like that's, yeah. I think of him, I think uh, uh, all those movies aside, I think of this one, like this is his real big, Mm. you know, leading role. That's, you know, he's the main villain and not a sidekick or a side character. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is, I mean, he's been in so many incredible movies and he's had so many incredible roles, but 100% agree with you that when I think of James Hong, this is the movie that sticks out the most. Yeah. That and, and the he, autograph, but yeah. He also, <laughs> that and the autograph. He also, you know, the way he plays Lopan also is a little bit of, of a comedy character like he, he can oh yeah he can do the range from like being kind of silly in his high-pitched squealing that he does to to like when he opens his mouth and the light comes out i was like whoa that's that's scary um yeah. <laughs> just really great character and and great actor portraying him i think the first thing i think of with james hong and i think it's just because of of 
growing up when I did is Seinfeld because he's in that one famous Seinfeld episode. The restaurant, uh, right? The Chinese restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And like, he's so good in that. Just, just it's simple, but it's like, you know, he's the star of that episode essentially. And so that's always the thing I think I was like, man, like that was, he's really like, it's cause again, like Seinfeld is such a tricky thing that way with delivery and making it funny. And you know, the circumstances are funny, but you know, but everything he says is funny in that. Like, it's mm -hmm. just, just terrific. So wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. It depends on how you look at the it. The hell it does. So somebody, I don't care who tell me what is going on. Okay. So let's go back to the plot of the movie. So. Is it clear, watching it now, is it clear what's actually happening in this movie? Well, you guys have seen the movie like a hundred times. I've seen this movie all the way through probably four times. Wow, okay. I, I couldn't tell you real clearly what's going on in that first like stretch <laughs> from when they turn into that alley until basically like they're in the, the going through the, the tunnels and things. Mm -hmm. Like... Because there's so much happens so quickly that I, I can tell you I'm I was a little a little bewildered. Is it that kind of? I mean, do you think that is in any way purposeful? Right. Oh, because that's that's the same as the characters. Like the yeah. characters don't know what's going on. Yeah, either. I don't think so it's even a detract. Like this... I don't even think it detracts from the movie. No, I, like I, it's it's just this wonderful chaos that happens yeah. for ten or fifteen minutes. Well, <laughs> like, that was going to be my next question. Like, does it even matter? You know, yeah. like it is confusing, like it's kind of all over the place. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I like I'm completely in for the ride the entire time. And I'm like, OK, what's happening? Oh, why is that guy riding a lightning bolt down in the middle? You know, like <laughs> what the fuck? I think you're you supposed know? to be like seeing it from Jack Burton's perspective oh, yeah. in the beginning. Absolutely. And like, I think up that until it... that, like like what is happening i have no idea like i don't understand any of this and then and then we get our backstory so. yeah i think it's totally purposeful and i think it works you know like i feel i feel like like i'm in kinship with with jack burton and i'm like uh dude i'm with you whatever like <laughs> well and let's the funny, go the funny thing is so like when we first see jack and wang chi and they're they're you know they're gambling mm -hmm. if Wang Chi had won, there would be no movie. <laughs> mm, right. Like right. Jack would have paid him and gone on his way. But because Jack won and Wang Chi didn't have the money, like they have to go together. And that's where they get, you know, then they've got to go pick up his girlfriend from the airport. And then we get, we meet Gracie and we get into the whole backstory of these, you know, girls with green eyes. Um, mm -hmm. And then later on, we we understand why they're being sought after and why they're so important, which is David Lopan, who is this. How would you how would you describe Lopan as like a sorcerer? Yeah, like an ancient sorcerer, right? Yeah, like four thousand years old. Yeah, <laughs> who has to? Um, he's got to what? Marry a girl with green eyes to become human again so that he can rule the universe. Right. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Clear as day. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Makes total sense. Well, but like, it's not, it's not confusing to any Chinese person in the movie. Like, it's like, well, this is what's happening. Like, this is what he's doing. Like, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. Like, they all know about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. like Wang, Wang knows, like, I mean, because the, the two gangs that are fighting aren't really relevant to the rest of the movie. Right. Right. Like, I mean, we, they, uh, some come in as allies, to help fight but like they're they end up in this 
like vicious gang war and then it's interrupted <laughs> by Lopan and you know the rain and lightning and, that, <laughs> and like the warriors like that scene is insane it's so the, bananas the alley fight is like insane that yeah. it's awesome they're and in it's the like the first of... big action thing and it's so crazy that you're just you know yeah these what? two gangs that are fighting right that that we see a yeah. lot of familiar faces pop up like al, al lung right mm-hmm. um that is interrupted yeah by Lopan and what was it rain thunder and lightning yeah that's right yeah. that's right who just destroy everybody well that's every... the that's the first time like that's when the supernatural element of the of of the movie gets introduced right mm-hmm. and then you're just like wow that's a total left turn like where <laughs> yeah. what where are we going this mm-hmm. is not what i thought it was it felt much more golden child until that moment. Then yeah. you're like, huh? Okay, cool. <laughs> now, rain, thunder, and lightning. Which so which of those three is your guy's particular favorite? Uh, <laughs> the guy that blows up, right? That was it thunder? <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah, probably right? thunder. Yeah, yeah. thunder. That guy's so intense. And he has I that think... whole sequence where he's like dancing almost between <laughs> yeah. all the statues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think lightning for lightning sticks out as having more cultural re- uh, well cultural video game relevance mm-hmm. like yeah. down the line. But I would agree that I think it's got to be thunder. But for a weird reason for me, and it's because when he does blow up that that split second before he blows up and they cut back to him and he's like the balloon face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> reminds me so much of a garbage pail kid sticker that I'm just oh, yeah. like. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, dude. They even got some garbage pal kid in this. <laughs> it's so 80s. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Well, and lightning sort of gives birth down the road uh, to uh, to Raiden in Mortal Kombat. Yes, absolutely. So big cultural impact there. But uh, I was always partial to uh, to Rain. Actually, Rain like something on his face like really scared me as a kid. That like of the three of them. That guy looks the the meanest. <laughs> That's funny. He's the one with the long hair, right? The long hair, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. The couple, the 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 YouTube video, the couple that was watching it, just like were railing into him about being in a shampoo commercial. <laughs> just, well, because there's like a moment where he takes his hat off and like well, shakes yeah, his head out, hair out, and it's yeah. all like long and flowing, and they're like, "What is this? A shampoo commercial?" <laughs> And I've seen interviews with him afterwards, and he seems like the nicest human being. Like he just, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, all three like really memorable. All three stand out. Good, you know, like henchmen characters. I mean, they're oh. better than henchmen because they they really do seem like unbeatable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like they only get outsmarted. I mean, the thing with Thunder is. He just kills he himself, himself out of up. sadness. Like, just like, <laughs> like, why are you, what? <laughs> I just love that he's so, like, wonderfully intense. Like, everything he does is so intense. Like, yeah. 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 So, like, his ending is so fitting. And I always kind of forget that that happens. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, what is this? How is this? Oh, oh, right. <laughs> yes, he's self, he self-destructs. Like, and yeah. and yeah. when he explodes, I know we're jumping around a bit, but when he explodes, like, the items that get thrown across the room, <laughs> yeah. the flesh. like full heads of lettuce, and like, <laughs> what do they yeah. eat? Like, like what, yeah. where's like, that coming? Like, from? All the... <laughs> uh, that's... Oh my god! But um, 
yeah, great, great characters there. And, and, you know, we, we basically spend, so the, the, the Wang Chi's fiance is, is captured and, and held hostage. And then Gracie ends up getting taken captive. And I, I love, you know, the, the action scenes or the build up to the action scenes when, when Jack and, and, um, Wang Chi are, are, you know, breaking in to find the women and, and rescue them when they go on their kind of sleuth mission about halfway through the movie where you start to really <laughs> see that Jack is like, you know, he's, he's been, he's funny, but like, he's not a real action hero. It was where, where this is where you start to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of fun sequences there. And then of course, later on when, when, uh, they meet up with Egg Chen, who gets his, you know, small army of, of, uh, I think, are those some of the gang members from the beginning of the movie, from the alley fight that are, I think, I working think so. with him? Yeah. That's true. They're the, yeah, white, so, the white and gold ones, right? Yep. So they're going to kind of team up and kind of uh, assault uh, the compound of, of, uh, of Lopan. And that's where, again, where like some great moments with, with Jack Burton, with, you know, he's got his gun and he's going <laughs> to, he, he shoots like up he, into the ceiling. Yeah, he, he's going to take out. charge, right? <laughs> like he's going to lead this mission and right away, like shoots up at the ceiling, the, the mortar, like knocks him out. And then he's unconscious like, <laughs> the entire the time. The way it's cut together is just wonderful because everybody's screaming, screaming, and then he's so excited. Yeah, you're so shit. He's knocked out. It's just wonderful. And then he's just like you just prone completely. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah. And then when he's finally up, and that like knight character like attacks him and he stabs him with the knife through his boot, right? Like yeah. he like kicks him, but then shoves the knife into him. And then he's stuck. He's like attached yeah. to him. So <laughs> again, the, they keep cutting away from it to stuff and back to him just stuck like that. Yeah. <laughs> and meantime, Wang, <laughs> Wang Chi and Rain are having this like epic, you know, battle uh, and, and everything. There's all hell going loose around them. But uh, just some some great moments, too. And um, and how about the random the the drugs that they what is what's that like drink that they have that's gonna oh yeah that what's the power that it gives them yeah <laughs> what's in the flask egg magic potion yeah thought so good what do we do drink it yeah good I thought so oh the six demon bag terrific a six demon bag sensational what's in it egg wind fire all that kind of thing here's to the army and navy and the battles they have won. As to America's colors, the colors that never run. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Ah. Feel pretty good. <laughs> and I'm not, uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of, feel kind of invincible. Me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. Is it getting hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> Oh, I don't I know. Like the, there's like those moments that's in the, the elevator where they're just talking about how hyped up they feel yeah. or something. I feel that's, great. Like, that's the same ayahuasca that uh, that David had earlier when he was giving the plot summary. <laughs> just in the zone. Yeah, I think it just gives him like no fear, you know, just takes all the fear out of it and that the courage and yeah. Um, but it's yeah, like tap, so. it's like tap water, right? Like it's all right. placebo it's effect. Nothing. Yeah. 
gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. So they uh, they shot the movie from October 86 through about, I think through December 86 or January. And then the movie's got to be got to be out for a July. Uh, I'm sorry, October 85 for a uh, July 86 release. Um, they shot downtown in, in Chinatown, but also most of it was on stage at the the uh, Fox uh, Pico lot uh, in Los Angeles. But technically, you know, great production design i think uh by by john lloyd like sets are really well done um it's the kind of movie that could look cheap if not done right especially with lopan's compound right um but But it doesn't it It feels ornate and it also feels kind of epic like i mean there's yeah i think i think you're right he did a he did a really great job making it feel much larger than than mm-hmm. you know what they probably were actually they're they're big set doing. pieces like his you know his uh like I, I don't know what you call it his throne room or whatever that is that the chamber room yeah, yeah like that's that's a big set that's you know where the the big fight is happening is is a big set um you know the warehouse where the the women are kept hostage that's that's a big set there's you know the the whole elevator sequence like that's a cool because yeah. they're, they're underwater there and and um the sequence with the where they're tied up where, where jack and wang get you know captured and tied up to those like wheelchairs yeah and, and they're blindfolded and where he plummets backwards to, he's to just that, screaming like, yeah well yeah. like yeah. that great great scene yeah on the alleyway, like the alley, like the alleyway where the big fight is up at the, at the beginning, like it, you know, it's an alleyway, like it should feel tight and confined, but it feels right, you know, like it's yeah. just, it's, yeah, the whole thing is pretty, pretty great. So that alleyway is on the uh, the back lot on on the the Fox lot, and uh, I was working on a project, and my office was like just off of where that is like mm-hmm. the, or just off the end of one of those the main street that they're that the truck is on um and then the small alley where he pulls into is uh i've shot in there a bunch of times so it's cool. every time i i was out there i'm like mm, yep big trouble You're like <laughs> where's jack yep <laughs> that's um, funny jack's t-shirt come on great shirt that white white tank top iconic yeah. iconic yeah, yeah. That might have to be the shirt I get for this show. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a tank top guy. I don't have the guns for that, but you know, I've got one. So my shirt. I'm not wearing it right now, but I've got the uh, Pork Chop Express logo. Nice. So. nice. You don't have haul and ass. <laughs> t-shirt. For those that are listening at home, John's just not wearing a shirt at all right yeah. now. Yeah, I usually great. don't wear a shirt when we're recording. Yeah. Got the pump on before the. The reason the I keep coming nice. back. <laughs> a lot of times I'm working out while we're recording. So yeah, yeah. you have to best edit out time. the sound of all the plates hitting each other. While you're <laughs> it's the best on. time yeah. to podcast. Yeah. Swole. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dean Cundy was the uh, cinematographer for this. Who's one of, yeah, I think he's Carpenter's really like main cinematographer to this point, but something they had some kind of falling out, I think during this movie. And uh, it was never, I, I don't think they've worked together or really maybe even spoken since then. And it, 
was really unfortunate because I think like he really nailed there's a real visual style to Carpenter's work and it's very consistent all the way up through this movie and then it changes you know after this so um yeah it's a, a sad to see that collaboration end but Dean Cundy's an amazing cinematographer who's done mm -hmm. you know some some of the greatest movies of all time one of my favorite things about the movie is the score John Carpenter's scores are not traditionally very complicated musical numbers. They're very simple, but they work so well because of right. that simplicity. They're kind of always great, though, yeah? Yeah, like, yeah. Halloween, The Thing, like... Yeah, Halloween, uh, Escape from New York, The Thing, which is really Ennio Morricone, but Carpenter ended up, like like redoing a lot of that or adding stuff into it to really make it his so he's like he basically hired Ennio Morricone to just do a John Carpenter score uh, but this one is great like there's so much I don't know his collaboration with Alan Howarth who you know when you think about Carpenter's music it's not as obvious that Alan Howarth was such a huge part of it you know, a lot of times Howarth was doing most of the music and Carpenter would do just the big, the theme song or the big, you know, one of the bigger numbers. But um, this score is great. And Porkchop Express is like just such a great theme song for Jack. It's like the perfect tone for him. And we, we've used it here on the show a bit. I'm also, I'm also a big fan of that like weird song that plays over the credits. The Big Trouble in Little China song yeah. that plays over the yeah. credits is yeah. really yeah. fun. By the Coupe de Ville's. So that's, yeah. that, <laughs> this, that's, that band is John Carpenter, um, uh, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace. So Tommy Lee Wallace, who directed Halloween 3, Nick Castle, who played the Michael Myers in the original Halloween and then became a big uh, director. So fun. They, yeah, they like grew up together and, and nice. that was their band. So <laughs> Coop, the Coop de Vils. The Coop, yeah. Wow. I uh, highly recommend if you have the, the Blu-ray or the DVD, even they have the music video of that, of big trouble, in little China. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's, I mean, it's them and they're in their like eighties, you know, oversized suits. You know? Oh my god! <laughs> and it's like you know an '80s music video that like it's like what is this, Duran Duran? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Highly recommend watching that. Nice. Um, we we talked about the Drew Struzan poster. Just mentioning again, it's 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 so perfect. It's so um, was such a memorable part of this movie is that that poster image that was. I think they've. I think there's been like a variation of it, but that mm -hmm. you know that original one is is perfect. And I recommend you know any Drew Struzan poster from the '80s, whether it's Back to the Future or you know the Star Wars movies, the Indiana Jones movies, The Thing. Um, you know he did so many for such a long run. Now I think he's pretty much doing uh, specialty you know specialty projects and. Yeah, kind of retired, but uh, but you know we've talked about him before. But um, yes, he'll still pop up occasionally. Oh yeah, we got we got plenty more. Uh, all right, so should we talk a little a uh, little box office glory? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I think that sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah. 
Uh, this is the tough part. Uh, all right. The uh, the movie's got Big Trouble in Little China's got a $25 million budget, which is, you know, pretty significant for the mid 80s. Uh, it opens up July 4th, 1986, and it opens up at number 12. Ooh. That is, no. That's tough. That's uh, DOA. And it's uh, <laughs> it's up against Psycho 3, the great, great mouse detective. <laughs> <laughs> about last night and under the cherry moon that's uh prince's film under the cherry moon oh. which oh, I, no. just, I just watched it, that last year and it is not a good movie <laughs> not holding up but of those big trouble is the lowest ranking out of all of oh them. my god is oh, psycho wow. three the one with henry thomas no i think it's still anthony perkins at that maybe is it maybe is henry it? thomas is in it He's in three or four. Maybe it could be fourth psycho. That might be four. Yeah. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Anthony Perkins is in the first three. Okay. Yeah. As the, yeah. 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 So, um, not good at all. Uh, Karate Kid two and ruthless people were the top two films at the box office, uh, that, that week aliens, uh, comes out two weeks later. Um, (laughs) you know, some people attribute, Aliens coming out to really killing any kind of momentum that that big trouble might have had, you know, if it could pick up after a couple of weeks. But um, it's only got a two point seven million dollar opening weekend. Not good. Uh, it ends Ugh. up with eleven point two worldwide. Oof, Oof. Crap. God, man, so. even for eighty six, that is that is not much. Yeah, that's honestly, man, that seems criminal, dude. Like that is <laughs> it is unreal. Even movies out there (laughs) and it's so, and, and, you know, I saw it, I don't know if it was opening weekend that I saw it, but I remember when I seen, when I was in the theater with my grandma, uh, it was, it was packed. Like it was, I remember it being a busy, you know, look like every seat or almost every seat was taken. So wherever we were was apparently where people were going to see it. (laughs) The one one. that was still Yonkers, New York was a hot spot for big (laughs) trouble. (laughs) um but it's gone from theaters by mid-august like just maybe five weeks of a run and that's it that is rough man that that probably should have come out in the fall that that maybe that would have been better yeah yeah this is a fun fall movie this is this is a cozy you know late september movie i think yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it it ends up as number 71 of 1986 behind Firewalker, the Chuck Norris. The hell's Firewalker? Oh, <laughs> oh, Chuck Norris? Some random Chuck Norris movie. Yep. I do Chuck, think I saw Chuck that. Chuck Norris, Louis Gossett Jr. I oh. did see it. Um, uh, but it did beat out the re-release of 101 Dalmatians. Oh, okay. well, at least there's that. Yeah. Re-release. <laughs> the beginning uh, 15 years later. Of... <laughs> yeah. Look, looking at just a little more box office analysis of how poorly this one ranks just from a box office perspective it's number 12 of all of john carpenter's films which knowing how some of them fared also fared poorly at the box office very sad to see uh, it's number 35 for kurt russell checks out yeah and of course his top two are like fast and the furious movies so right, right. <laughs> yeah all right but you know the the real the real tragedy of this movie is is that the, the studio 
I think never really understood or was on the same page with Carpenter. You know, they just were never on the same page and it's hard to get a project going if you're not creatively on the same page. It's, it's really hard to make that work. So, um, and they didn't know how to market it. They didn't know, you know, exactly what to do. I think they were marketing it, uh, you know, as more of an action fantasy movie than the comedy that it really is. And yeah, I Com- think were- comedy parody action is, I think, tough yeah. to, to get across, you know? Yeah. In 80, in 86. Yeah. 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 For I, sure. I think they're trying to make Kurt look like an action star, you know, at this point, Arnold and Stallone are huge. Mel Gibson's Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis are not far off from, from joining that club. And, um, you know, and Kurt would eventually be there and, and, but I think they're trying to make it seem like, you know, he's the next Stallone. Uh, and they're of course, like we mentioned, very worried about, uh, competing with the golden child and Eddie Murphy, who's at the peak of his career. And the golden child did well, right? Yeah. Golden child was a hit and, yeah. and this suffered, but, uh, yeah. Well, it's a good thing that Fox in 2022 started bringing in some real talent. That's all I know. <laughs> that's, that's 20th that Century the Studios is the place to be. That's that's all <laughs> I'll say. Uh, yeah, and and you know this is devastating for Carpenter. Um, this was his, you know, his his next shot at really making a big studio movie work, and again for the second time, a movie that he put so much of himself into is a failure and a really devastating failure again. So he pretty much is out of studio pictures. I I think memoirs of of an invisible man is, is his last studio movie, but that's what 93, 92, 93. Yeah. Something like somewhere around there. So is that Chevy chase? That's Chevy chase. We'll get there. uh, Season 12 of reconsideration. I got a weird right little soft spot for that movie. Like it's dumb, I. but I kind of like that movie. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen it. Oh, oh I, yeah, it's okay. I mean, that and Ghost Dad, two red. <laughs> Ghost two red. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw Ghost Dad not in the that, theater. Not yeah. that we'll ever talk about that one, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, after this, like he turns back to sort of his roots and goes uh, more, not independent, but um, you know, lower sort of lower tier studio uh, films with They Live and Prince of Darkness and all the way through uh, In the Mouth of Madness, but never really gets back to the heights that his career had up until this point. You know, this this marks sort of the beginning of the downward slide with, I think In the Mouth of Madness is a tick upwards and, you know, They Live is also, They, they Live is a very good movie and parts of Prince of Darkness, um, but it's not quite at the level of, you know, like a Halloween, the thing and escape from New York and this. And um, I don't even think Carpenter likes talking about this movie. Like he's no, I think he's still, I mean, he does talk about it, but it's still, you can tell he's still wounded by it. Yeah. I, I went to, uh, so in 2016 beyond fest did a 30 year anniversary screening of this movie. And like, Kurt was there and did a Q and a and like James Gunn was doing the, you know, he kind of was doing the questions. Cause I guess they were filming guardians too at the time. And so I went with a couple, couple work friends and it was awesome, man, going there, but like, yeah, Carpenter was not there at all, but 
to think that this movie only made a like 11.2 worldwide in its first run and then seeing the reaction of the people that were there watching it you know 35 millimeter print at beyond fest packed theater like we got yeah. there like 20 minutes before i mean we knew we were running late but we got there 20 minutes before the the screening was supposed to or the q a was supposed to start and like we were spread all over like some of us were only standing room like there was we were not able to find a seat it was packed man like air conditioning wasn't working it was fucking hot it was kind of miserable <laughs> it was but it was awesome, man. And it was so good to see this movie like up on the big screen again. And the reaction, like the the audience was was almost had a like a Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of vibe. <laughs> like people were yelling shit at the screen. And you know, it was great. Like it was really cool. And to see that it still has that it's grown and blossomed into that from where it started is like bananas to me. But yeah, I mean I'm glad, definitely, that, I'm glad people love it. It found its legs on home video. Yeah. You know, that's where it really got rediscovered. And and our generation, I think, is is the, you know, maybe we were a little too young or just missed it, you know, didn't really get behind it in, for its theatrical run. But our generation, who is now basically running the Hollywood studio system, many, many of us have a great appreciation for this movie and and love it and... Um, got it for what it was. It was it was misunderstood and mismarketed at the time, um, which happens. And uh, you know, there's so much love for it over the last uh, you know 30 years, really. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fun when you have like a cult movie like that. You know, that like they, the cult like cult gets thrown around a lot, but like a movie that really didn't connect at all or they couldn't figure out what to do with it or they, you know, they dumped it to get rid of it. And it was, you know, like, like idiocracy has become this kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, beloved movie that made no money at all because they just didn't know what to do with it. And yeah, I, yeah. I think, you know, it's just one of those things that happens, you know, like how do I you mark? I mean, even I just, if it's not malicious, it's just, you know, well, I just rewatched idiocracy. It's more like a documentary. Right, <laughs> but it has really found its time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Some of it's really crazy. Yeah, like how, how on the nose. Yeah, it's become. But yeah, uh, you're right. When it came out, like it w it did not have an audience. Like it was. Yeah, it was kind of here and gone quickly. Yeah, like I I don't want to exaggerate. I feel like that movie maybe was played a week, right? And it did it grossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred thousand dollars. Like it did nothing yep. at all. So yeah, yeah. It, it did really bad. Yeah, yeah, that's another famous one. And then, and then, of course, The Thing, which we talked about. You can hear it in the archives at reconsideration.com. Uh, <laughs> but that was a little bit different because of the release of, of E.T., you know, coming out right on the heels of it. Kind of the audience yep. wanted the, the, the happy, lovable mm -hmm. alien and not the one that bursts out of yeah, a dog. Yeah, for sure. And... <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Yeah, his um, timing, it just seems like the timing is always just not quite right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it does happen that, like, when you read a script, when you're developing it, it reads one way, and then it seems like as it's being prepped and the sets are built, like, yep, that looks great. The cast seems like it's going to work. And then when you start seeing dailies, it's like, huh, okay, this is not exactly what we were all thinking. And then that's where the division sort of happens. And then what do you do? Like, there's plenty of movies that get made and then just never released because mm -hmm. they just, 
you know, it becomes something different from what it originally was. So, you know, that's part of what's going on here. But, um, but yeah, just time has has been very kind to Big Trouble. And, um, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know from today's, you know, the young audience today, how much they would love it. I just, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know any of any young people who are watching this and what they think of it. I'm not sure they would love it like we did. I mean, it's got kind of hokey 80s effects. Like the yeah. effects are good for 86, but it's a little hokey. And and then what we've already kind of said, how insensitive is this movie? It's hard to say. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I think today's audiences are much more in tune with that and much more sensitive about right inclusion and you know representation and you know this i don't know how this would rank so that's that's a question but yeah um, well maybe we'll find out yeah what we should see? start holding screenings <laughs> <laughs> let's let's show it in the park in the summer see who comes Twelve and under see what only. happens with the sequel <laughs> that's it if it ever gets made yeah, yeah. Um, so for Kurt, though, we mentioned earlier, like, I, I do think that as devastating as it was for Carpenter, it did really good things for him. It showed that he can lead a movie. I don't think he really took a lot of the heat for why the movie didn't work. I mean, he turned around and got leading roles immediately after this and bigger right. and bigger movies. So clearly the studios were not were not giving up on him. Um and this is the beginning of a long and very successful career. Uh, and, but, but also sort of the, almost the end of his relationship with Carpenter that he would come back for escape from LA, which is a movie uh, <laughs> that happened. Um, it did happen. Season 15 of reconciliation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's uh yeah, so they would work together one more time. And they do, you know, I don't, they, they still get along. They do a lot of appearances together. And, um, you know, there's plenty of stuff on the Blu-rays and DVDs of them together talking about their movies and doing commentary together, even for this one. But, um, yeah, but he would go on to be a huge, huge star that we know and love. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. For me, like, this movie just, it works. Like it just, it works. It's so much fun. It's, it's uh, just a really good time all around. I think you could make the case that this is, I mean, we kind of said this before, but this is really Kurt Russell's best performance. Like, you know, I think when we did the hundredth episode, I believe I said that I thought the best Kurt Russell movie might be the Fox and the Hound. And I realized that was met with some crickets. But I think, I think as a performance, I think this probably all around because it's so tricky. And again, I can't really imagine anybody else doing it. Like this movie kind of reminds me of the last action hero in that way mm -hmm. where they didn't know what to do with it. And and the, the way uh, Schwarzenegger plays Jack Slater, not in the Slater movies, but in the real world, he's sort of buffoony and he's sort of, you know, the whole thing has that comic thing to it. So, like, maybe you could make a case that Schwarzenegger could have played it, but not in 86, he couldn't have played it, you know? No, no, no. God, no. Um, but otherwise, he like, could I mean, barely get away with what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. He was showing up and just and bulked up, just throwing people. That's... Right. Right, just a lot of punch. logs, Can't carrying wait. logs, Can't giant wait guns. Until we cover Commando, it's going to oh, be such a good day. <laughs> yeah, but no, otherwise, like I don't even know what you would say. Like, I mean, you know, I think 
I think largely Kurt's a better actor than a lot of the stuff he did because he did so much genre stuff that mm-hmm. didn't really get the same kind of credit. You know, yeah. like I think he could have done, uh, you know, more real actory kind of parts. Um, and I mean, you know, do what you want to do. You know, you have the career you have. But um, I just think that then when you look at everything and a lot of the action type parts and a lot of even just from his little things like, you know, death proof, like mm-hmm. you can see that there's a lot more there. Oh, yeah. But I think I think Jack Burton is probably you know the the ultimate Kurt Russell performance. Really, don't don't forget though he did give the gift of Captain Ron to the world. So <laughs> don't talk bad about. I'm Captain sorry, Ron. I, I completely overlooked Captain. <laughs> you, you forgot all about Captain Ron. God, you know, I'm sorry. I should have pulled up a list. I'm, I, you I'm know, not even not even thinking. One of the next ones uh, within the next few years of this is Tequila Sunrise, which I remember. I, I've I've. I saw it when it first came out. I remember like, oh my God, it's Kurt Russell, Mel Gibson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like it's going to be an amazing movie. And I just remember hearing all negative things about it and how bad of a movie it was. I'm like, oh man, that should have been like, yeah, I don't think I ever saw it. Yeah. Well, we're we're coming around to it in the the next uh, couple of Kurt Russell movies. We got Overboard and then Tequila. So you know, after Batman Returns came out, like I had like, you know, I'm 13. I had a run of just watching Michelle Pfeiffer movies. So I know I saw it then, but I don't remember anything about it really. Like it's I just one of those movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that kind of like the sun is always coming in through the windows yeah. and like it's like crime and everybody looks real <laughs> sleek. But like I couldn't tell you anything that's going Slicked on. Slicked back hair, sunglasses, yeah. a lot of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, the poster. Yeah. yeah. The poster is great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the ones that I cut out of the little magazine from the from the <laughs> the grocery store video shop. <laughs> uh, so all right, so back to big trouble though. So all right, years later, years go by. Fast forward to I don't know twenty whatever, and discussion comes out about a sequel, and and I think uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, right. had had you know tried making an effort at a sequel it was it was unclear what what it was going to be uh, at first but whether it's a remake or a sequel and he was of course going to play his son right <laughs> well i you know it was again no it was knows. like a lot of questions gonna, of like is he going to be jack burton and then he i think he came out and said he wanted carpenter involved uh-huh. and it would be a sequel and then that was kind of then it went into limbo and mm-hmm. and it's an unknown status right now, but yeah. But what sequels were made were comic books, right? Yes. Oh, I uh, I managed to find. This is the one thing I managed to find. I like to come to the show prepared and have a lot of stuff, but I couldn't find the novelization, and I'm not even sure like what exactly. It's just an original screenplay, right? But in the credits, it's listed as adapted by at some point. And I, was, I didn't even well, understand just so, a story. Like, so no, that that's that. So that whole credit became a. Uh, so the studio wanted to not give credit to Gary Goldman and David Weinstein for their huh. script, and it became an arbitration with the Writers Guild that the studio wanted W. D. Richter to get sole screenplay credit. Writers Guild fought back and eventually won. So oh, okay. they maintained their credit, but they gave Richter an ad- adapted by credit, okay. even though it's like he's not adapting a book. He's adapting their mm. screenplay into yeah. what we're actually seeing. So, yeah, I couldn't. I just I was confused by that thing. And I was like, is there something else to, to find? But I forget that they have the 
the old screenplay and then the other right. screenplay. Um, but yeah, the comic books um, were in 2014. Uh, Boom put out these comic books. Boom, I think then at this time was doing a lot of that. I don't know. I'm not real mm -hmm. up on what they do now, but they do it a lot of like. They still do that. Do they still like, but like film adaptations stuff. and licensing stuff? Like, yeah, it's, I couldn't speak off the top of my head, but the last I checked not yeah. too long ago, they were still. Because at that point, they they were making a Muppet series that was great, and it was right mm -hmm. after the the 2011 Muppet movie. Mm -hmm. So that that was my my real Boom exposure at the time, but. Yeah, they did this run of comics, and I managed to find some of them. And the the comics pick up right from the end of the movie, like immediately from the end of the movie. With and the so, monster? With the monster what happened? The back yeah, of the truck? like the mo it's like the monster in the truck. And what they the explanation they give, like very quickly, the monster starts palling around with them because Jack <laughs> killed Lopan, that the 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 demon who he starts calling Pete. Uh, Pete just is like his sidekick now because he like he's he's bonded to him because he killed Lopan. Um, but the plot gets, it's fun. I, I read like seven or eight of them. So like I got a yeah. good ways into what they were doing and very quickly it starts to rehash old ground, but it does like bring back all these characters and it's doing all this stuff and it's set again immediately afterwards. So there is, you know, a lot of, you know, immediate kind of connection to stuff. He goes back and Wang's getting married and the next thing you know, like he's getting kidnapped. So it's, you know, uh -oh. and then it goes into this real windy more mysticism and monsters and stuff. It's it's really pretty fun. And and the tone is really good because it does stick with the Jack Burton from the movie where you think they could theoretically lose that and make him more heroic, but he's still a buffoon. <laughs> and he keeps telling all these stories about his ex-wives. And, and the way that it's framed is that the he's telling these stories like, oh, I met this girl and, you know, she was a stripper in Pittsburgh or something. But in the drawings, it shows that she's clearly like some supernatural thing that he just doesn't realize. <laughs> what? And like the one's a vampire and he just doesn't realize she's a vampire. And then he's just and then he tells some like they show her leaving or something. And he's telling some story like, yeah, so I had to let her go, you know, and and it's really fun. Like they, they go through a bunch of these ex-wives huh. and and there's some like world building like. There's an explanation that his first ex-wife in like a serious moment in the comics, she like had died. And when he kissed her goodbye, he said like, this is the last kiss goodbye I'm giving anybody. So that's why then in the movie, he really doesn't kiss. So it builds some stuff to that. But yeah, sure. um, but yeah like I, Lopan comes back and it creates this whole thing. It, they're pretty fun. I thought I thought when you first started and you were talking about how he was palling around with what'd you say the monster's name is Pete? Pete, yeah. That this was the you were telling me that the spirit sequel to this is actually uh um the Clint Eastwood movie Every Which Way But Loose. <laughs> right. But, yeah. But it's then, very similar. Yeah. But then it ended up not being that, which is yeah. fine. But no, Pete, uh, you know, then him and Pete are palling around and that's pretty fun. And they, they keep they stop at like a truck stop. So for like the most of the rest of the comics, he's uh, Pete's wearing a T-shirt that says, like, if you buy me a drink, I'll say I'm 18 or something. like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like it, it goes into a lot. There's a lot of like fun little, you know, anecdotes uh, at one point. Like, I think they have to go through it's something they have to get the spirits of the the element people, the the rain and thunder and. And they, mm. so they have to go and retrieve this from some shady place. And and instead of like, they, they want them to jump through a bunch of hoops, but Jack just grabs them and starts leaving. And then they start threatening him with information. Like, we're going to tell everybody your name was, that you were a stripper at one point called Tasty Cake McLovin's or something. And he's like, everybody already knows that. And they just, 
though. So they're pretty fun. It was I was you know I seeing it I was kind of like oh, I'm sad we really never did get a sequel. This you know they could have put this out in '90. That would have been fun. And I, and Carpenter was in on the stories of the comic books anyway. So yeah, there's at least some connection there. But I I think for a long time there was just so much, you know, bad feelings about this movie that there was never. I mean, he's even discussed doing a sequel to The Thing, which also is a sore spot, but this is more of a sore spot. So it's never really been a discussion point. And I don't know if Kurt really would have wanted to come back to it either, but would have yeah. been interesting. Given given how it did at the time, clearly it was not going to get made. But uh, But I just, I you know, at the end of that movie, you're not really like there's a natural avenue for where this is going to go. And so the fact that they do kind of dredge up a lot of the same plot is a little lazy, but at the same time, they add enough stuff that it's it's pretty entertaining. And and the the little additional things, like these little backstories. Uh, Lopan does come back fairly quickly in the first three or four issues, but they go through this series of all the hells that people can end up in. It's like the hell of like being cut by razor blades and Lopan ends up in the hell of those killed by idiots. And so <laughs> it's just him sitting in a circle and they're all talking about how they got killed in some really stupid way. And he's just like, I got killed by Chet Burton. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. That's uh, hilarious. That's, you know, talking about the, the monster at the end, just made me think about the, you know, the ending of the movie and it's Carpenter, really most of the time ended his movies with this real cynical kind of downer ending or like a question mark of like is our lead character gonna live we don't really know i mean halloween escape from new york the thing christine this like it's all like what is the next thing that's gonna happen to jack with that monster you know hiding in his truck yeah but apparently, uh, if you follow the comics, it's all good. Him and Pete get it together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, oh, and the, uh, isn't there a board game out now too? I think there's one of those co-op board games, right? Yeah. Like, like you can buy it for, for like $200. <laughs> what? Is that, is that <laughs> really? What? I think so. Yeah. Oh man. It's like $200 or $250 now. Jeez. Um, that's on my list to get though. I've not, not played it, but I remember playing a video game as a kid. Does anybody remember it was like a Nintendo game? There was I don't, a, I don't remember I think, real well. It was, I think it was a Commodore game. Oh, okay. I do not remember, but there one. was one. I've yeah. never seen it. I thought I remember playing it, but I just remember it being kind of like a junky, you know, side scrolling type game of the time. But of all huh. the movie adaptation, you know, into video games that Nintendo made, you would have thought this would be one. Yeah. Like so yeah. much, it's prime. I mean, someone should make it now. It's prime the, for a video game. The, Might as well. the, the thing that made $2 million <laughs> over again. Well, they might have already been making it, you would think, yeah. right? Like, I guess. Yeah. It became. You, you're e. saying they the didn't want game? to dump more <laughs> money into it? <laughs> I right. Like I mean, so. that's to your point. ET would made for a horrible video game, but they still were like cranking it out. Let's, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> Cranked it out and then right into the <laughs> land. Right into that landfill. <laughs> <laughs> bury it in the desert or whatever yeah so That's for rough. kurt russell this for me this is probably this is probably top three minimum kurt russell performance if not one or two absolutely agree yeah top three yeah. i mean i already told you guys this movie's on my mount rushmore so <laughs> You know, it yeah. it definitely it definitely puts Kurt right up there, top <laughs> top of the list on his on his uh 
credits. Yeah. Yeah. And for Carpenter, I would say for me, this is um, top five. Top five, maybe number five, maybe maybe six. I yeah. Have to, I have to work on that list, but yeah. I would say top five. I think those are fluid, you know. They get to remain fluid as you go, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, nothing can always stay at num, you know, number three. It's yeah. going to move around. <laughs> yeah, your one <laughs> might stay solid, but you know. yeah, one's got to be the thing for me. Yeah, a one. Yeah, I mean, the thing makes a lot of sense, and the thing is really good. But I, I don't like rewatchability. Like, this I, is a lot more fun than the thing. Yeah, like, yeah. This, one, this one is not bleak and like. Is, is like, this his I, most... I love the thing. I love Halloween. But this this one, again, like this is one of the movies that made me want to make movies. You yeah, know what I mean? Same, like it's yeah, like, same here. So I don't this know. This is his most fun you... movie, Carpenter, right? This is like his most uh Well, you've got to see the Invisible Man movie. <laughs> I've seen... <laughs> yeah, Apparently yeah, I yes, do. You yeah. do. It's pretty fun. It's pretty good. <laughs> so is Daryl uh, Hannah in that too? Why yeah, not? Daryl Hannah, Hannah, Sam Neill. Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. Sam Neill. I love that movie. I have yeah. not seen that. Yeah. That seems way out of left field for for uh you. <laughs> well, for Chevy? no, it's No, not for Chevy. For for, for uh, Carpenter. Carpenter, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as funny as you remember. I think because, again, you got Chevy and, and Daryl Hannah, you think of it as being a funny movie, but it's not that funny. I, really. I, remember, I remember it being kind of heavy. As a drama. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's, it is pretty, as a, for an Invisible Man movie, too. Like, there's a lot there. It doesn't, it doesn't 100% work, but the effects are really good for 92 or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's a pretty underrated movie. It's not perfect like there's problems yeah, yeah. With it, but but it's still yeah. a pretty fun watchable movie i think it's rentable it's on not gonna streaming it's not services. gonna unseat the thing it's not it's, rentable anywhere it is rentable on many streaming services oh. so you know yeah get out there memoirs i saw that thing on, on unlike HBO as a kid. cocoon which is impossible no, <laughs> really cocoon we've we, the, i talk about it every week now yeah <laughs> we've been trying to do you can't find it doesn't oh. it's not streaming you can't oh. find it anywhere it's yeah i, I haven't how thought about the movie cocoon fire so we lost all the reels cocoon's an important <laughs> okay. movie we're, we're gonna we're gonna figure out how to get our hands on you might have to buy a vcr and uh, yeah, get, um, get it out exactly. of yeah. I mean, if you want to pay if you want to pay 50 dollars, you can get the blu-ray but it's like do you want to pay 50 dollars for the blu-ray not for cocoon well if it's got cocoon the return with it maybe yeah, it yeah. Does. a little value get the, the Get the package. The, the, the whole Cocoon disc. series. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to find a Blu-ray player too. I don't know. Did you guys, uh, did you, do you guys ever see any of the deleted scenes from Big Trouble? There's one mm. at the end where, where they encounter the, the gang from the airport mm. again. Oh no. Where like, where they, you know, the four of them get, you know, they've just defeated Lopan and they get in Jack's truck and, and then he's like, there's one more thing I got to do. And then he finds, like, it cuts to him finding their, they're all, like, <laughs> sitting on, like, a dock in their, like, Camaro or whatever that car was. And he just comes As up you do when him. you have a Camaro. You yep. sit on a dock. <laughs> you hang out in that yep. car. And he, uh, like, pushes them off into the water. Basically just kills them. And then, <laughs> then they all laugh. And then they go back to the. <laughs> they all laugh. They're like, oh, silly Jack. <laughs> got him. <'em>. Such fun. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, well, look, this was uh, an epic episode of Reconsideration, and Joe, it was uh, amazing having you on. I think, you know what? I think we're going to invite you back for our next episode, too. Oh, yes. okay. I, I can clear I can clear my schedule. Yeah, so. clear yeah. it. Yeah. We're going to be talking all things noises off. Oh, baby. Oh, no, you're not even hinting. It's a not direct. even hinting. We're Do it. Call it out. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, a couple of old theater guys like me and Dave Munchak, we should be able to uh, to mop that one up pretty good. It's going to be the first time I've seen it, so I'm excited. Oh, to baby, experience you are, it. You, grab you the popcorn, get in, you know, just get comfy, have some fun. Yeah, wall to wall stars, comedy, theater. Stars. Come I on. do rem- I do remember the cast in that being like just bizarre. It's epic. It's, like, it's dynamite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, stay tuned for that. But. Um, I had a great time talking uh, Big Trouble in Little China and Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. There's so much more to talk about all of them, and uh, we'll, we'll continue down the roads in each of their careers. And but we do want to wish Kurt Russell happy birthday coming up in happy just a birthday. few days after this airs. So uh, I believe this is 71, 72, 72. 72 believe it or not and you look Man. not a day over 37 so that's the age james hong was when they made this movie <laughs> <laughs> that's true bananas oh god well uh quick uh shout out and thank you to our friends ek wimmer check out his podcast laser graves and curtis moore thank you for the poster check us out we're at reconsinimation on instagram and twitter or check out our archives at reconsideration.com. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review. It really helps the show. And Joe, before we go, tell us a little bit what's happening with uh, It Happened One Year. Yeah, so uh, me and the wife, we're still hammering away on this podcast. And it's uh, we're, we're, we're getting towards the end of season two. Uh, right as we speak, I believe the uh, large scripted episode, The Visitors to Nova Scotia, is rolling out over at It Happened One Year. Uh, it's got a cast of 35, including uh, John and Dave, uh, uh, coming out to do a bunch of performances, a lot of fun stuff. Brett, we're going to get you next year. All right. <laughs> we're going to get you in season three. Just let me know. Yeah. In there. Uh, but yeah, I think we're wrapping up. Season two is going to wrap up soon. I think mm, April, May. And I think the, our last episode of the season is going to be our 100th episode overall. So wow. uh, we're, it's all, all right, happening. Congrats. Yeah. Ciao. Chipping That's, away. So you're gonna have a 100th episode spectacular. Will you invite everybody back? <laughs> well, I was. What we were thinking. I was asking the wife, like, what should we do? Like, should we see if we can get guests? And the idea has come up that we're just gonna cold call people and act like they've <laughs> called it. <laughs> like, Dave, uh, well, the, the, thanks for uh, thanks for chiming in. What, how great do you think our show is? <laughs> we'll just see where we go from uh, here. So that that very well might happen. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. I'll so stand stay by. tuned. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, everyone, check out It Happened One Year. It's available anywhere you get your podcasts. So tune into that. And uh, and we'll come back to it next time since you're going to stick around for another episode. Um, everybody stay tuned for the next episode of Reconsidimation. Take care. Bye now. We got big trouble. A little child.
listen to the old pork chop express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night all right when some wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks at crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail.